welcome back to Hello Submarine. This is Ariane, your host. I am joined today by good friend of the pod, Dylan. Welcome back, Dylan. Thank you. Thank you. Um, in case you don't remember, Dylan joined me for episodes one and two, where we discussed the infamous Freedom Convoy, as well as the evolution of the far right in Canada. It was a pretty good time. We learned a lot. So happy to have you back. Yep. Good to be here. So Dylan is here today as a psychology student because we're going to be talking about people, people, the internet, uh, some weird beliefs held by people on the internet. And I think, you know, having that psychological perspective will be pretty cool. Anything you want to say about yourself before we dive in, Dylan? No, yeah, I want to I want to really talk about some science today because we're going to be talking about people and people's behavior and that's what psychology is all about. Uh, psychology isn't like about the brain or anything like people think it is. <laughs> it's about behavior. So, okay. Yeah. I think it's very relevant to the topic at hand. So, speaking of the topic at hand, we are going to be talking today about alpha male internet culture. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. going <laughs> It's a, it's a big one. Um, yeah, I spent a lot of time looking into this. Uh, it's it's pretty overwhelmingly coming from men. And this alpha male ideology is not any one thing specifically. It kind of branches into a lot of different areas. Um, some of the people that are going to be making an appearance in this episode... Uh, Andrew Tate's going to make a big appearance. He's kind of the main guy when it comes to being like an alpha male on the internet. You know, honestly, I'm not going to say who we're going to touch on. I just kind of want to roll with it. We'll touch on them if we touch on them. Andrew yeah. Tate, though, he's coming. He's coming for sure. The big boys. <laughs> yeah. Um, so alpha male clubs. You heard of this? No. <laughs> okay. Alpha male club. I mean, it's kind of like a coined term on the internet. It's oh, not. Okay. It's not an actual, like, that's not a proper noun. I don't think it's something that they would necessarily self describe as. Although I could be wrong about that because they definitely will self describe as alpha sounds males. Ironically, something for a beta male. <laughs> the alpha male club. So alpha male clubs, they're, they're basically like a life coach style business that will offer various programs, seminars, in-person conferences, which is kind of hilarious. Usually like a shit ton of YouTube videos. They'll write books, you know, and sell them. The people that run these alpha male clubs is what I'm talking about. Um, the whole point is kind of to like help men become more successful with women, money, and their career. Those are really really the things um some examples are andrew tate's the war room and wake up warrior with garrett j white these are two what what is the war room that's a good question (laughs) (laughs) i don't regret asking that (laughs) so let's look at the website the war room no great man in history became exceptional alone 99.9% of modern day men will never experience the power of brotherhood and community. They will never experience what it's like to have other ambitious, hardworking, diligent, and dutiful men at their side. To experience being surrounded by success stories, to be amongst the most energetic and lucky men in the world, inside the war room you will access knowledge that will spark your genius and compel you to work your hardest to keep up. There's no other place on earth with men of this caliber. (laughs) Wow. That's their like I have to be a part of that. 
that's their mission statement. Let's look at their plans. Build your war plan. Okay. Cobra Tate war plans. 10 minute live text chat. We're not going to be doing that. It's like a coaching situation. I don't know if it's exclusive or like how you become. I think you can just pay to be a part of it, which, you know, that doesn't make it very exclusive unless it's very expensive. Mm-hmm. Where is the war room? Everywhere. Okay. Let's ask a more objective perspective what the war room is. Um, here's an article from BBC. I'm just going to read from it. Quote, on its website, the war room is described as the only place of its kind where powerful men from all walks of life join together in a brotherhood committed to becoming better men. It's so-called a secret society that spans across the globe, says Matt. The event that we went on cost around $5,000 to join. 100 Tate fans flew from all over the world to try to join, and when they got there, they were presented with something called the test. In three days, you'll be given the option to fight a professional MMA fighter in an actual cage fight octagon in the Romanian mountains. I think a lot of men there had been hurt by women emotionally, Matt says of the event's attendees. There was a lot of divorced men, a lot of men who had their hearts broken. Okay, sure. It's a fighting game? Me, just divorced. I have to go join the war room. (laughs) Tell the listeners you're joking, Dylan. (laughs) I'm not joking. Oh, God. (laughs) The 100 men invited to the war room had to decide whether they would agree to fight the MMA fighter. Matt was one of the men who agreed, as he knew it would allow him to better understand the war room mentally. Prior to this, Matt had a sparring match with Andrew Tate in which Matt was punched in the face. Andrew Tate has said that they were there to film him sparring, but then he dropped a surprise. When I got there, he said, put on some gloves. I didn't like the questions this morning. That was scary. I'd never boxed before. So presumably this Matt character is someone who's interviewing him, who's gone in. I mean, I kind of want to double check that. Yes. In his career for Vice, Matt She has interviewed intimidating people etc so okay he's like a journalist who's tried to infiltrate this thing do you need to know more no are we good toxic masculinity the club (laughs) the war room um war room you know and then garrett j white is the other sort of alpha male club i wanted to mention and that was wake up warrior Mm. again this is described as a brotherhood uh it says you've been told having it all is not possible, that focus on your business will take away from your relationship, from your family, body, and your God. It doesn't have to. Like, these are just coaching sites, right, for men. Mm-hmm. You know, packaged as, like, this alpha male brotherhood. So then there's this other offshoot of this called alpha male universities. Mm. Um, one of them is from Andrew Tate, again, called the Hustler University. Have you heard of this? The Hustler University. I'm not lying. Um, It's basically like on the website, the copy is the world's biggest financial education platform got even bigger. After helping thousands to escape their nine to five, it was time for step two out of our three step plan. Um, It sounds like you can sort of sign up for like different things like there's copywriting, freelancing, e-commerce, AI, crypto, stocks, finance and mindset looks like you get the platform and you get some classes the uh the picture on here is just andrew tate and some other dudes smoking cigars anyway those are alpha male universities there's also one called the cardone university by grant cardone um grant cardone is a dude that's worth 
uh, maybe speaking about. He's an entrepreneur, author, speaker, investor, and coach. He owes he owns a bunch of companies. He's he's coaching men. So you know, while we're here, I kind of want to ask you from like a psych student perspective, what are your thoughts on the idea of like an alpha male? There there is no such thing as an alpha male in psychology. In psychology, there's no such thing as an alpha male. It's not a thing that we do in psychology. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's... So, you know, by that token, I assume beta males are also out of yeah out of scope. Yeah. We don't we don't ma- we don't rank human males the way we rank wolves. It doesn't work like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So it's not something that's like a educate or like a academic term no it's not okay so which is not to say that it isn't real it just is not academic okay so so by your like what do you think it what do you, what are what are they trying to get at with alpha male what does that mean do you think yeah so there's a social hierarchy and the person is very high or at the top of the social hierarchy right presumably Right. It sounds like it has to do with women being able to acquire women, money, status, power. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about where these ideologies come from. Like where, what, how did we get the alpha male in, in the form that we know it now in 2023? How did these factions of the internet start to form? Yeah. I I think it's just most people being insecure, if I'm being honest, which is fair enough, but I think it's Do you want to say more about that? Yeah, just like men feeling down. I mean, there's lots of pressure on men in our culture to make lots of money or totally. to be good with women or this or that. So yeah. And when you're not, and then someone like hustlerman.org is like, <laughs> here can... are my six steps to success. Totally. I'm a millionaire. You're like, heck yeah, I want to be like that guy. And you mm-hmm. kind of, you kind of, and then, yeah, alpha males, you know, like gorillas, but we're like people too. So you can be an alpha male. And they like kind of use like their weird, they're like kind of backwards kind of ideas about nature. And they're like, yeah, this is how this works. Yeah. No, it's classic like internet grifting where you're just selling, yeah. a, you're selling a lifestyle. Yeah. You're, yeah. They're just selling products. They're all selling products. But also just like the lifestyle that this person like presumably has and sort of trying to sell the idea that anybody can attain it, which is bullshit, right? Like, we all know that, like, certain people have way different barriers in their way, right? There's, like, systemic issues um, that prevent people from just, like, you know, waking up really early and, like, going to the gym and, like, you know, making it all happen, which is, like, kind of the the vibe, right? Right. So, like, I I do want to get into, like, sort of the history of, like, the men's rights movement and sort of, like, where this might have originated. And, um... I'm going to be kind of quoting and like taking from a four part behind the bastards episode, which is an amazing podcast about Andrew Tate. Not the whole podcast. This four parter was about Andrew Tate. I'm going to link a it. whole podcast dedicated to Andrew Tate. <laughs> well, it is a whole podcast dedicated to people like Andrew Tate, which is pretty <laughs> incredible. So um, what's nice is they kind of they kind of go through all of the bullshit and help you to digest it rather than you having to do it yourself. They talked about something called the mythopoetic men's movement being the sort of origin of all of this. Have you heard of it? No. Okay. Mythopoetic. Yeah, that's right. The mythopoetic men's movement. What does that mean? Okay, so um, basically it was founded by Robert Bly, who was an American poet, writer, and men's rights activist. He's really kind of the founding father of men's rights activism. 
he started doing activism around the Vietnam War because he was adamantly opposed to it. And he was known for publicly refusing to pay taxes during the war as a form of protest. This branched into some pretty fair grievances about capitalism. His whole thing was like, you're forcing men out of the home. They're not around their children to help raise these young boys and show them how to be men. Mm. So they're, they're being left with their mothers all of the time. This is sort of the founding argument for the fractured families narrative that we hear a lot about on the right. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Yeah, the, the families being under attack by drag queens and stuff. Um, not that, not that there's no validity to like the fractured families argument, but sort of like, you know, it, it does seem to get blamed on the wrong people a lot of the time, you know? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? The nuclear family single-handedly destroyed by RuPaul. <laughs> exactly. So what began is like a really valid concern about young boys and children in general, not having fathers that are present to help them learn and grow turned into this anti-feminist sentiment about women breeding the masculinity out of boys. And as this episode of Behind the Bastards will point out, you can see how he might have recognized that this whole situation was equally as challenging for women and for girls, but instead he kind of just leaves them completely out of the discussion and focuses entirely on men and the victimization of men at the hands of too many female role models. He claimed that feminists want men to be less aggressive and that young boys are surrounded by too much feminine energy. Again, just placing the blame on women for like something that capitalism did. It's important to note that like these ideas, they are really problematic, but Robert Bly is like, you know, a really far cry from like an Andrew Tate. Like this stuff was very tame compared to some of the stuff that we see today, but it definitely set the stage for like a whole slew of people and sort of men's rights activists and influencers that came later on. So I have a quote from the the same Behind the Bastards episode that I was just talking about. And I want to read it because it does a really great job of kind of lightly explaining what happened after the mythopoetic men's movement. This is kind of the 90s time frame. Um, this is when that movement starts to fade into something different. Okay, so this quote sort of explains what happened after that. Quote, after that point, you get a mix of right-wing culture war politics that intersects with these very divorced dudes, angry over custody, you know, yelling about how men are discriminated against. And then we have, of course, starting in the early 2000s, these pickup artists selling the secret to fucking chicks at bars. And this all gets brewed up into this slurry. And you've got the pickup artists intersecting with the men's rights activists, intersecting with the right-wing culture war politics, intersecting with literal Nazis. And from that slurry, we get Gamergate and the alt-right and at least a portion of Donald Trump's political success. End quote. Mm. So that's kind of like the... <laughs> the overview of what was to come. So let's dive into some of those things. Let's talk about what they each are. So we talked about the early men's rights movement, the mythopoetic men movement, sort of this like blaming of women on what was actually the fault of capitalism. There was men's complaints about women being treated preferentially in divorces. Culture war politics, this is essentially the deep political divide, the us versus them, the far left is destroying traditional family values of it all. And I want to note that culture war politics is not right or left, like you can be on either side and participate in this. 
But in terms of like alpha male ideology and men's rights, that is definitely happening on the right. You know, we know the very far right, we've covered that in detail in episodes one and two. We've talked about the alt-right, Nazis, various white supremacist groups. I talked about that in episode three as well. And then pickup culture, that's, have you heard of pickup culture? Yeah. Yeah, you've, that's probably, do you get like flooded with that on social media or like? No, but that's, I feel like that's more, that's made its way into popular media more. It's more mainstream. Yeah, for sure. So for those who don't know, it's also known as pickup artist culture. It's a subculture of men who seek to improve their skills in attracting and seducing women. Pickup artists use a variety of techniques and strategies to approach and engage with women. The goal is initiating sex or romantic relationships. I feel like it, this isn't new. No. Yeah. It emerged in the 1990s. No, I feel it, like it's even older than that. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. But like, I'm sure like the term pickup artists and pickup artist culture is kind of 90s 2000s origins what do you you just think it's been oh i just feel like there's always always been don juans since the (laughs) dawn of time there's been a don juan okay for people who might not know what is a don juan a casanova a pickup artist okay a very charming man okay but what do you think there was like pickup artists coaching other men how to do it good question maybe okay (laughs) No, probably not. (laughs) Okay, so it emerged in online communities, forums, and books. It's often associated with uh, someone named Neil Strauss, who wrote the book The Game and the Mystery Method. That's kind of where it originated. It's blown up now. Tons of people are talking about pickup artistry and trying to teach men how to get women. I don't know how successful any of it really is. The quote that I just read also gives an honorable mention to Gamergate, which is essentially a pushback against feminism and progressive ideology in gaming culture, where advocates were claiming that these things were making games less fun. (laughs) So all of this has really been brewing over the last few decades, and it's breeding people like Andrew Tate, who essentially is the unofficial godfather of being an alpha male, and someone who believes very strongly in his right as an alpha male. I have even heard video clips of him saying that being an alpha male gives him the right to rape, own, and control women, among other things. These are opinions he's expressed. I'm not paraphrasing. Do you know much about Andrew Tate? No, not really. I've luckily been able to avoid him. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't know a ton about him either. But I, I see a TikTok now and then sure. where he says something, but that's about it. We heard about how, you know, Greta Thunberg totally, like, yeah. got him sent to jail and stuff. And yeah. Anyway, like, we, we've all probably heard of him, but, like, I want to talk about him because he's so at the center of this shit. So if you're not familiar, he was a kickboxer. He turned into an online sex trafficker and lifestyle influencer who became incredibly famous for controversial views about masculinity, feminism, women, and dating. He's got an enormous, or he did have an enormous social media following until he was banned by almost all social media platforms. Currently one of the most Googled people in the world. So... Just going back to his online sex trafficking, he was apparently involved in something called Romeo pimping with his brother. This is a style of pimping that involves coercing women to fall in love with you so you can like manipulate and and get them to do whatever you want them to do. So he would him and his brother would have these women. They're all very young, like teenagers, fall in love with him and then he would coerce them to do online sex work and he would take like, you know, most of the money, if not all of it. I'm not really sure what the percentages were there. He was arrested, as we probably all know, after, what was it? He, like, posted a video trying to retaliate to Greta Thunberg, like, making fun of him. And he was trying to, like, clap back. 
And in the video, there was a pizza box, which was like from a local like pizza company. And yeah. I guess the Romanian authorities were able to trace him to his location and they were yeah. able to arrest him. And then he went to prison in Romania for a time. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he is now out of prison as of early April. He's on house arrest. He got arrest. doxed by a teenager. He got doxed by a teenager. <laughs> yeah. He kind of got doxed by an alpha by, male of him. He kind of got doxed by himself. <laughs> <laughs> like he definitely put the pizza box in front of him. You know. It's okay, alpha males make mistakes. <laughs> so one of the things he talks about in his like coaching is like he's coined this term. It's called being the top G. You ever heard of being the top G? Oh yeah. You have. Yeah, I, I, did he coin that? Are yes, you sure? no, it's his. Are you sure? I'm positive. I feel like that's an old saying. It's perhaps, but it's like his thing. Oh, like okay. It's like how he describes what it means to be. It's like his version of an alpha male, but it's okay. like an ultimate alpha male. It's like, okay. the, it's like the, the alpha al- of the alpha. That's right, yeah. So it basically refers to a type of man who can have as many women as he wants all at the same time. Yeah. All of them are going to be deeply loyal to him and only him. He can dominate anyone at anything. He's rich, successful, famous, and just essentially has it all in the most misogynistic way possible. That's what being a top G means. You're laughing. What's going on? I'm looking at Urban Dictionary. (laughs) Read it. Top G is an individual that is capable in all realms. A term created by a former chess grandmaster, Emery Tate. Oh, that's his dad. Oh, is it? Yes. Okay. I thought they were just joking. (laughs) I wonder, that's interesting. So according to Behind the Bastards, who like seem extremely well-researched on this, it was his thing, but maybe his dad coined it? I don't know. Anyway, it's coming from the Tate family. We can say that. One of the Tates. <laughs> One of the Tates. So in my quest to understand more about this, I, I watched an Andrew Tate video talking about something that I'm very interested in and that I'm gonna we're going to dive into in a bit here. They're talking about whether men and women can be friends with each other, okay? So he's talking with John Sanmez, who's the founder of Bulldog Mindset, which is essentially another alpha male club, right? They're, they're fucking everywhere. Just Google it. They're talking about can men and women be friends? And so in this like alpha male internet culture, the overwhelming perspective is that no, like men and women cannot be friends. And here's just some context from this conversation. So Andrew Tate says that women are never single. They're always talking to someone. They're always fucking someone. And so essentially men vying for their attention are always in competition with other men. He says that if a woman goes out and hangs out with other men in any capacity, then she's poachable. So implying, I guess, that women have absolutely no agency and no ability to just be loyal at all. He talks about how he's not jealous. It's just that he's territorial about things he cares about, which is ironic because nothing he's ever said ever makes him sound like he cares about women in any capacity. And then he also talks about how when a female partner says, why don't you trust me to, you know, like have male friendships, he responds by saying he trusts the locks on his Lamborghini, but that doesn't mean he's going to let people try and break in. Love that comparison of women to cars. And then he talks about instead of behaving angrily, you should just state that you don't date those kinds of women and openly like uses manipulative language to say like, just, you know, turn it back around on her. Don't let her make it about you. It's not about you. It's about her. Just make her feel like she has to go on the defensive for being that type of a woman. 
So this is kind of, you know, what he has to say about male-female friendships. And I want to say that, like, he's not even close to, like, the only one of these alpha male influencers. Like, the guy he's talking to, John Sanmez, like, same thing, you know? Like, he's, like, fully agreeing with everything that he's saying. This is, this is just super common in this, like, subgenre of the internet. So why does this matter? Um, it matters, I guess, because... People like Andrew Tate are incredibly famous. They have enormous followings. They have quite a large reach of influence. And they're influencing primarily young boys. And so we have this like up and coming generation of of boys that are like learning to view women as objects who can never be trusted and who should never be allowed to have any of their own autonomy. And before we kind of move on, uh, from this, I just want to give an honorable mention to uh, Joe Rogan and Jordan Peterson, because I think that a podcast about the alpha male internet kind of needs to at least mention them, even if only briefly. I want to say that there is definitely overlap between like a Joe Rogan or a Jordan Peterson and an Andrew Tate. There's overlap in things like some of the gender role stuff. Although Andrew Tate and that type of guy is definitely has a way more extreme outlook on it. Joe Rogan, Jordan Peterson both hold a more nuanced perspective. I think that they both do at least try to use data and research to back up the claims that they make, whether or not they do a good job of that and and they're actually interpreting that research correctly. Um, I'm not really commenting on that. I just, I guess I appreciate that they at least attempt to use knowledge to come to their conclusions. And I do appreciate that they have a slightly more nuanced perspective. However, I do think some of their ideologies on gender roles are problematic I don't agree with them personally. I also think it sucks that they can be a bit of a gateway drug for getting into the section of the internet that has people like Andrew Tate. But I also don't think that they bear full responsibility for that. That's how the algorithms work. You start off with like a Joe Rogan and, and you know, before you know it, you're getting fed Andrew Tate shit and... It's a shame that it works that way, but I don't think even Joe Rogan would want to associate with somebody like Andrew Tate or the views that he holds. So I think it's important in giving these two an honorable mention uh, to, to understand that what they're saying isn't the same. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to agree with what they're saying or doesn't mean that it's not problematic in its own right, but it isn't the same. And... <sighs> Honestly, those two, each of them deserve their own episode. They're complicated figures. They, they help a lot of people. And they also say and do a lot of problematic shit. And it's confusing. It's confusing as hell. But as somebody who really tries to, like, make space for nuance and for things to not be so black and white... I can't in good conscience compare them entirely to Andrew Tate, and I can't say that they are contributing as much harm to this whole alpha male perspective and pickup culture and treating women like objects 
do they believe in more traditional gender roles? Yes. But I actually genuinely think Jordan Peterson really loves his wife. And so it's about men who don't trust women at all and who think all women are exactly the same and think that women do not deserve the same rights as men. And I will say that I am encountering men like this in my own dating journey. And it's actually what prompted this episode for me was that I I went on a date with somebody who told me it was a red flag that I had male friendships. And it, it really prompted me to look into all of this because I didn't really realize that that was a commonly held view. Have you heard of this at all, Dylan? Like the the idea that it's a red flag for women to have male friends? I've heard that it's a red flag is strong. I've heard that I've heard concerns in sort of the popular culture ether around having uh, cross-sex friends when you're in an intimate relationship. Okay. Yeah. So let's chat a little bit about my personal experiences here because they're... They're highly relevant. So I, I, like I said, I recently went on a date with someone. Over the course of our time together, I mentioned one of my very close friends who also happens to be an ex. For some context, this is someone I dated like many years ago and the relationship has been strictly platonic for a long time. I've dated people since. Nobody's really had an issue with it because it's just so obviously platonic. But Mm. to my surprise, this guy immediately stated that it was a red flag. And so I dug a little bit deeper because I was like, what? How's that a red flag? And I learned that he thought it was not only a red flag to have an ex as a friend, but it was a red flag to have male friends in general. And he felt it was disrespectful to a male partner for a woman to be friends with, with men in general. So he also claimed in this conversation to know how all men are thinking and that men simply just can't be friends with women because they are always going to be hoping for sex. I may, if we can go back to Andrew Tate for just a moment. Let's go back. I always find it funny. Something that always confused me about Andrew Tate is how uncredentialed he is to talk about everything that he talks about. Oh, yeah. And a lot of people who have these opinions are also uncredentialed and don't seem to back up their claims. Like, I, like it's one thing to have an opinion that's controversial. It's one thing to have an opinion that's controversial, but isn't at all supported by any evidence, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not going to claim yet that it is or isn't supported by any evidence because we haven't gotten to psychology research yet. But it's interesting that people just say like, oh, my experience is X, therefore all men are X. Right. It's it's really wild for them to sort of... They are making the claim that every single male ever thinks exactly the same way. It's a giant leap. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I eventually ended up telling this guy that like, I don't think we're going to be compatible And he immediately got hostile with me and I was being fairly polite. Like I was just, I was being honest and polite. And he said that I wanted a beta male, um, that he wasn't going to be my simp and that having all of these male friendships are going to block men from wanting to be, be with me. And then he also kind of was like intermittently telling me in between this that he was sad, which was just like incredibly annoying because he was like being really rude to me and then also being like, but I'm sad. Like, I don't care if you're sad. You're being a dick. Like, anyway, that that's over. But um, I really just, like, after that, chalked it up to, like, okay, this is an insecure man. He's possessive. He's jealous. I've seen this before. Um, I'm not interested, obviously. So the following day, I went and talked to one of my friends about it. And this friend also happens to be a dude. 
uh, disclaimer, I've got a lot of male friends. So this is I'm this is part of why I'm really interested in this because like if if it's true that like people are not going to date me because I have male friends, like I guess I'm interested in that and you know, I want to know if that's true or not. So my friend was telling me that this is a really common perspective and that there's whole corners of the internet like entirely dedicated to this line of thinking. He showed me some videos on YouTube. Um, one was a comedian that was insisting that any man who has a friendship with a woman wants to fuck her because, again, he has been that guy. So, again, sort of that idea of, like, I'm like that, so everyone's like that. I like how he cites a comedian as if that's, like, a credible source. No, this is just my friend showing me. Oh, okay. He's okay. just showing me the dudes that talk about this oh, at this okay, point. Oh, okay, gotcha, he's gotcha. Not, he's not citing shit. He's all just right, like, hey, right. that makes be, more sense. be aware this exists, this is out there. And so, you know, he also showed me a podcast where um, there was men and women in the room and one of the dudes was like to the woman, like, hey, I bet you if you call any of your male friends right now and ask if they will come over and have sex with you, they will consent and say, yes, I would like to do that. This is, I learned a very common talking point in these circles, like, hey, like, just call any of your dude friends, ask them to come have sex with you they're all going to say yes, right? Like, this is what the men that hold this perspective will say. And then in this particular podcast, I guess she called her male friend that she claimed was her best friend. She didn't ask him to have sex with her. She asked him why they had never dated. And I think she was hoping to get a response like, oh, we're platonic friends. And instead, he gave some other response about, like, you know, he didn't think she was into him or something along the lines that did confirm, in fact, what these men were saying that, like, yes, he had some romantic interest in her. Anyway, like what my friend was trying to tell me was like, this is this is a really common perspective, which surprised me. I was I was not expecting it. I, I thought I'd sort of seen jealousy before. I thought I'd seen possessiveness before, but I hadn't seen it framed in this way where it's like sort of broad sweeping statements about entire genders. Right. And so after this conversation with my friend, I decided to ask someone else. This is someone I met like over a year ago. We've hung out a few times, but we honestly just disagree on so many things. Like he said some pretty misogynistic stuff to me, but we still will like slide into each other's DMs every once in a while on like a rainy Saturday type thing. Um, Like I said, it's never gone anywhere. But yeah, we have each other on Instagram and I texted him, figuring he was probably part of this subculture to ask what his thoughts were. I just wanted like confirmation that like, okay, if you if you're a dude that's sort of in this alpha male corner, like you're going to be thinking like this. I just wanted to see. Right. It was kind of an experiment. And he confirmed that. um, So what I asked is I said, hey, like if a woman has male friendships, is that a red flag? And he said 100 percent. Yes. I asked him to help me understand And he explained, like the guy I went on the date with before, that he knows how all men think. Men only have friendships with women if they want to fuck them. It's disrespectful to him if his woman is enabling or encouraging male friends by spending any time with them. I then told him, like super politely, like, oh yeah, I have male friends. And he, like the guy before, got hostile with me. He said, you're a keeper and thanks for helping me dodge a bullet. So obviously that conversation ended and this whole thing left me feeling really turned around because it was breaking my brain a little bit. Like I hadn't, I truly hadn't seen it before. And so I started looking into it and that's really the inspiration for this entire episode because 
now I know that this is a whole fucking corner of the internet that exists. And yeah, it was it was really interesting to me that they both got hostile, you know, when things weren't weren't going their way and kind of telling in my personal opinion, like what you were saying about it, speaking to insecurity, like if mm-hmm. if you're secure in your own belief, like there's no need to get hostile, you know, with a woman who's just no, disagreeing. Even if you disagree, you don't you don't right. have to get angry. No, you don't have to be rude. No, you, you don't, don't have to like start like calling my character into question. You can just be like, hey, we're not compatible, which is exactly what I was saying. You know, I was just like, hey, I don't think we're compatible. But that was anyway enough to, yeah, I guess, warrant some rudeness. Yeah. So I started I want to know, like, can men and women be friends? I want to dig into that. So I I've pulled a bunch of research and I know Dylan's looked through a lot of this, too. And I just want to give a disclaimer here. These perspectives that we're going to be digging into, um, these studies, they're totally heteronormative. They completely erase queer people queer identities you know it's one of the reasons that these like sort of alpha male no male female friendships are allowed perspectives are really problematic because like they don't make space for like say a bisexual woman or like gay men or like any anyone in the queer community or anyone that's on that gender spectrum um is just completely left out of the conversation and i i just want to say that i don't want to leave those people out of the conversation however these studies are heteronormative so this is a very heteronormative area of the internet. Is there anything you want to add at this point, Dylan, before we jump into the studies? Nope. Let's go into science. Let's get it. Okay, so the first thing that I read was an article on Scientific American called Men and Women Can't Be Friends. It cited two different studies. The first one was 88 pairs of, I guess, platonic cross-sex friendships. So that's 176 people total. It found that men are more attracted to their female friends than the other way around, that men tended to believe their romantic feelings were mutual when they weren't, and contrarily, women tended to believe their platonic feelings were mutual when they weren't. The article states that men consistently overestimated the level of attraction felt by their female friends, and women consistently underestimated the level of attraction felt by their male friends. That was a quote, sorry, (laughs) that last part. Men who were attracted to their female friends were also more likely to see romantic potential with female partners who were in relationships, while women who were attracted to their male friends saw less potential in their male friends who were in relationships. They they tended to have more respect for those those romantic relationships that their friends were in. And then the second study that that article referenced was 249 adults. Many of them were married. They were asked to list the positive and negative aspects of opposite-sex friendships. Quote, variables related to romantic attraction, e.g. our relationship could lead to romantic feelings, were five times more likely to be listed as negative aspects of the friendship than as positive ones. End quote. It found that men were much more likely to list romantic attraction as a benefit of a cross-sex friendship. Younger men listed this as a benefit four times more often than women, and older men listed it as a benefit ten times more often than women. So there was, I guess, a, a difference in how the genders perceived the benefits of, of having attraction in a cross-sex friendship. Any thoughts so far? Personal experience, most of the people I've dated were my friends first. That's just usually a role. Yeah, no, I've I've yeah. been in the same boat too. Yeah. Um, I, I think that's healthy. You yeah, know? I think like, it is too. 
Yeah, I have some thoughts about this. First of all, these are like questionnaires that people are given like one time or like these are like one time yeah. sort of ask ask some questions type studies. Obviously, the methodology of that is is flawed as as are, you know, the methodologies of most studies. Like studies are hard. Data is hard. That's not a slight on on any of this. It's just sort of the Where reality. Yeah. Sorry. It's the way it is. Yeah. So some of my thoughts, this this research obviously is suggesting that men and women view cross-sex relationships quite differently. And what's really interesting is like in that alpha male culture of the internet, men will use, will, they, will, they will mistrust women, right? When, and I think they acknowledge this type of information. They're like, oh, it's the men that can't be trusted, but yet it's, we can't allow women to like Andrew Tate said, be in a poachable position, right? It's, it's as though women have no agency in these situations which is which is so interesting because if these studies are true what it's suggesting is that women are are incredibly capable of platonic relationships with men but not the other way around that's what these studies are suggesting yeah right i'm not saying i don't agree with that per se but i i guess i don't know sure yeah another thing is i don't could be wrong i don't think andrew tate's reading any of these studies i think he's just kind of spewing his opinion Fair. Very, yeah. very, very fair. Yeah. But, you know, even if we were to give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he was, it's still like a weird skewing of that data to suggest that women are the untrustworthy ones in this in this world. No, it doesn't check out. Another argument I hear a lot from, like, uh, these, these alpha males on the internet is that uh, women will keep males around because they like the attention. Which I'd really like to point out that this study did not confirm, and it was really the other way around, that women believed their relationships were platonic when they weren't. So that doesn't really check out that, like, they're in it for the attention or, you know, they, they clearly don't think in many cases that there is attention to be had in that way. Dylan, I know you said to me the other day, and I kind of want you to expand on it, like, how do you feel about people saying all men are something? Or... Yeah, it's always just kind of suspect to me. Like you need, you need some pretty pretty hard evidence to say that all men are like this, all women are like that. Maybe some research gives us broad trends to look at. I mean, you can't really approach a subject with any, with any nuance, then that's a red flag to me. Yeah. So then I guess we'll move on to another couple of studies. There's a man named Michael Monsoor. He did some studies in 1997 and 2001 that are often cited in papers talking about this this sort of male-female friendship issue. The studies both found pretty overwhelmingly that cross-sex friendships are just as beneficial as same-sex friendships. They offer you know, all of the same benefits of, of just friendship in general, social support, reduced loneliness, um, but also the additional benefit of like insight into how members of the opposite sex think and feel, which can be actually really helpful when you're dating as a heterosexual person. And so, you know, those two studies very, very much were in support of, of cross-sex friendships and, you know, they're not being an issue there. Another, another researcher named April Blesk Rechik hope I'm saying that right. She's done a number of studies on this as well. One of the studies is called the benefits and costs of opposite sex friendship in dating relationships. So now we're kind of branching into like, we're not just talking about cross-sex friendships, we're talking about them in the context of like relationships and whether they are good or bad for relationships. This study uh, examined the effects of having close opposite sex friends on the quality of dating among college students um, so, yeah, we are, you know, again, we're, 
data collection. We're only talking about college students. The study found that individuals who had a high-quality opposite-sex friendship reported higher levels of satisfaction, commitment, and trust in their dating relationships. These individuals were also less likely to engage in behaviors that would threaten the stability of their relationships, such as cheating. The study also found that having too many opposite-sex friendships or relying too heavily on those friendships for emotional support can have negative effects on dating relationships. Um, that makes sense. Like, obviously, you give there, – there's more opportunities the more cross-sex friendships you have for jealousy and conflict to arise. So this study kind of concluded that opposite-sex friendships can be beneficial for romantic relationships, but that boundaries and communication are important factors in ensuring that these friendships don't become a threat to the relationship. So let's let's go on on the other side of the argument here. So there's a study here by Conrad Alexander Coretti. An investigation into the effects of cross-sex friendships on heterosexual romantic relationship dynamics. This was done with a questionnaire. Um, Here's a quote from, I believe, the conclusion or the abstract. I can't remember. Uh, Quote, cross-sex friendships people maintain are unique from same-sex friendships in their negative relations with commitment, relationship satisfaction, and trust via an increased perceived availability of alternatives. Similarly, the cross-sex friendships people's partners maintain are uniquely related to people experiencing lower commitment, trust, and relationship satisfaction via increased feelings of sexual jealousy, end quote. So this investigation, like I said, was done via questionnaire. It didn't monitor anyone over time, and it does acknowledge this flaw in its methodology. Some other interesting quotes I pulled quote, both anxious and avoidant attachment related individual differences are also related to feeling more threatened by partners' cross-sex friendships and perceptions that their partner is emotionally closer to their cross-sex friends, end quote. So basically saying, you know, if you have an anxious or avoidant attachment style, you may be more likely to feel threatened by your partner's cross-sex friendships. And then another quote here, uh, quote, additionally holding positive cross-sex friendship beliefs i.e. the belief that cross-sex friendships are possible, is related to feeling more comfortable having a friend of the opposite sex. In contrast, holding beliefs that cross-sex friendships are not possible is related to feeling threatened by a romantic partner's friend of the opposite sex, end quote. Makes sense. Anything you want to say about any of this data? No, I mean, you mentioned before it's... um usually questionnaires and college students so it and the, the results are mixed so it's nothing's really that well defined and there's social studies and social studies are kind of suspect yeah. most of the time so it just you know take it with a grain of salt and to be clear i think we're taking all of it with a grain of salt i'm right. not we're not trying to like confirm oh, yeah. confirmation or bias into an, our way into opinion really what i've taken from this is that we don't fucking know <laughs> yeah data's not helping us much here yeah no i mean there's examples we have both examples of uh, cross-sex friendships being harmful to intimate relationships and them being beneficial to them so it's it really it depends <laughs> yeah sure does yeah it depends um, this isn't a study per se, uh, not a study at all, but I found a couples therapy practice called Lambert Couples Therapy, and it looks to be a well-established um, practice, you know, that is 
presumably seen a lot of couples and, and supported a lot of couples in their therapy journey. And they have a blog and they specifically have one um, article, blog article about about cross-sex friendships. And I, I found a lot of this interesting from, from the perspective of therapists here. So they talk about while attraction can exist between male and female friends, it more often than not isn't acted upon, which I thought was interesting because I, I really agree with that. Like that's certainly been my experience when I've had any level of attraction with a friend. Like more often than not, it doesn't lead to anything. Um, so anyway, jealous partners, according to these therapists, tend to hold the belief that these types of cross-sex friendships are just not right. Uh, the blog kind of describes this as a myth, obviously, um, because what each person feels is right versus wrong in these scenarios is just, you know, it's like based on your culture, your family, the media, your ego, who you are, like all, it's yeah. just not, saying something that is just not right is not an argument for anything. Contrarily, the partner with the friendship that is cross-sex will often claim that their partner is just jealous and just insecure and sort of treat this as though it's inherently bad, which can lead to, like, the other party feeling defensive. And this is important, too, because, like, jealousy and insecurity are human and normal, and it's really about how you deal with that in a relationship versus um, whether or not you feel those things. I think we all do sometimes, but what, what matters is, like... Are you asking your partner to cut off all their friendships or are you like having a conversation and letting them know that you're feeling insecure? You know, right. those are two different things. So our, our culture, they say, uh, holds a belief that emotional intimacy will always lead to sexual intimacy, which isn't really backed by anything. And which which actually I've thought a lot about this just in my own life that like we don't have non-romantic intimacy with people very often. And I think that that's like a weird I don't know, product of maybe capitalism, maybe the patriarchy, whatever, our society, right? It's just like we we lost that along the way. We used to have intimacy that was non-romantic with our friends, with our parents, with our family members, and right. that seems like it's been kind of lost. And so this idea that like intimacy is like this big threat. Wait, how was this lost to the patriarchy? <laughs> I'm not saying specifically the patriarchy. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to like just for example, like what type of intimacy was lost and what way? Non-sexual intimacy. Non-sexual intimacy. Yeah, so the ability for like two platonic friends to say cuddle or to like brush each other's hair. Oh, okay. You know, the yeah. ability to sort of like have a level of an intimate relationship that is completely non-sexual. Yeah. It's it seems that when people have intimacy, it's usually in their romantic relationships. Yeah. But that's not how it needs to be or maybe even how it should be. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that that's necessarily the fault of the patriarchy. I was just sort of throwing out some right, right, right. potential causes know, yeah. for, for how we lost this along the way. Going back to the blog, though, they mention the movie When Harry Met Sally, which funnily, like in so many articles I read about this, this movie came up. Because this is, like, the first, I guess, movie of its kind that contended with uh, male-female friendships. And it concluded with, like, sort of the idea that men and women cannot be friends. It's always going to, like, be that they're in love with each other in some way, shape, or form. I haven't seen the movie. It's with Meg Ryan and Billy Crystal. But these therapists claim that this movie set cross-sex friendships back by about 25 years. Because what it did is, like, it sort of sparked this whole 
like a lot of movies and TV shows then sort of followed that storyline, you know, like that became like a really common story to tell, like the story of two friends that become romantic and fall in love with each other. It was just, it just, it's still a story that gets told all the time. Like it's in a lot of movies, a lot of shows. People love that story, but it's not necessarily a true story. It's not necessarily based on reality, but because it's so deeply saturated in the media, I think it can have this effect that people start to think that it is based on reality. And so uh, that's an important thing to think about, too, that the media really influences how we think about some of these things. They also talk about how the research on male-female relationships is pretty scarce, and they're not citing facts and figures here. This is really just from their experiences as couples therapists, and they are themselves a couple. The husband has since died, uh, but the woman, I believe, is still practicing, and they did have this, this practice together for a long time. And yeah, they conclude that these friendships can be extremely healthy and that they can really enrich people's lives for the better, as friendships are wont to do. Yeah, and so... I guess on, in, in the subject of therapy, I'll also mention that I did talk to my therapist about this and, and she really felt the same, that like friendships are healthy. It doesn't matter what gender people are. It matters who the person is and if, if they are themselves able to sort of like have their own boundaries with things and if they themselves are loyal, trustworthy people and that when somebody is jealous and insecure about these friendships... It is not up to the other partner to go and change their whole life and cut a bunch of people out of their life in order to make that other person feel more comfortable. Rather, if you're the one with the jealous, insecure feelings, those are yours. That doesn't mean that you can't be supported and cared for through that, but it does mean that like you shouldn't be asking somebody to change their life and to change their friendships to make you feel better because that is inherently an unhealthy thing to do. I want to mention this video that I saw on YouTube by somebody named Matthew Hussey. He's like a dating coach in Britain. And I thought he had a really great perspective on the whole thing. And I think we should listen to a clip. The question isn't, can men and women be friends? The question is, are they willing to just be friends? Your partner's loyalty isn't defined by how many people they are not attracted to. Your partner's loyalty is defined by the amount of people they can be attracted to and still be loyal to you, still be in the relationship, still be faithful. That to me is what loyalty is truly about. There's no win, there's no award in someone never being attracted to other people. That just means that you're the only person in the world they're attracted to and by default they're with you. If they could be attracted to many people and still choose you, that's genuine loyalty because now they're sticking around by choice, not because they haven't found anything better. Wow, that uh, that sound quality was not great. Anyway, I thought that was a really interesting perspective. It was refreshing. It was nice to hear. The video's a little bit longer, and the, he's a little bit more to say, and I will link it in the show notes if you're interested. So we've talked about some data now and some studies about male-female friendships. We've talked about our personal experiences. Do you feel like we've been able to come to any kind of conclusion? I feel like... <laughs> confused <laughs> confused i know i think just be just be critical of what you see and what you hear on the internet yeah just because andrew t has an opinion don't don't take it uh without it without criticism right and and without be really thought be really skeptical about people who hold these incredibly heteronormative views about gender roles 
especially when they lead to sort of broad sweeping statements about entire entire demographics thinking one way or another. Obviously, it's a complicated topic, but um, I think that, you know, really digging into it, it can be both. <laughs> it can be both. These friendships can, right. can be, they can cross the line and they can also not cross the line and yeah, got to get nuanced with shit. <laughs> yeah. Life's complex as our relationships. Is there anything else you want to add? No, yeah, no, again, just the, the amount of things that circulate in, in pop culture that kind of go uncriticized is, it's kind of, it's kind of astonishing. Like, again, the alpha male thing, it's just like, does anyone bother to do any research just to check if this is a thing? Because, like, I, in, I, I never really pay much attention to the alpha male culture personally, but before we did the podcast, I just did some, like, 10 minutes worth of research on yeah on uh, an academic database and a couple you know some googling and some you know terminology seeking and i found that no like this isn't as i suspected like no this isn't a thing yeah (laughs) in uh, academia Um, i think if you're using the term and you're aware like hey this is a loaded term i'm just using it mm -hmm. as a slang term and you're cognizant of that okay fine whatever but don't like don't uh pedal ideas about alpha males when there's no evidence to to back it up mm-hmm. don't do that seriously yeah all right well uh i think we can end it there for today if you would like to get in contact you can reach me at hello submarine podcast at gmail.com i also have an instagram it's at hello submarine podcast and there's also a website hello submarine podcast.com That's where I have all my show notes, so you can get access to all the resources that I used for the episode today. And yeah, thanks for joining me on this journey through the wilderness. (laughs) Great. Well, yeah, we hope (laughs) to have you back again. And yeah, hope to be back. (laughs) Great. Thanks, thanks everyone for listening. (laughs) I think I'm gonna leave you all with a funny little clip from Bumbag Music. Please enjoy. You're a guy in your 20s and you don't have a Lamborghini, you should actually sit down and have like a serious discussion with yourself as to why you don't have a Lambo. Yep. Because it's, I realize now that it's so incredibly easy. Ooh, another white boy with a podcast. Crypto, gym bro. Another white boy with a podcast. Pronouns, hell no. Another white boy with a podcast. Meal prep, sports bet. Another white boy with a podcast. My dog once licked my balls. Do you want to see the video? It went viral.